remembered. All right, we're going to let the kids head out to God's backyard. How many of you remembered? All right, so what was the assignment? I know my wife knows because she was checking to make sure I was doing it. All right, every day to take a little bit of time and be thankful for one thing. All right, um, so whether it was in the morning, right when you woke up or whatever, to just start with a, a, a spirit of thanksgiving. And I want to encourage you um, to continue that through uh, through this month. Don't just make Thanksgiving something you do on Thanksgiving Day. Um, Thanksgiving Day is, is a great uh, uh, locus. It's a great um, one place where you can get together and do that thing. Um, but we, we should be thankful on a regular basis. So this morning we're going to continue looking at Psalm 105. Um, and uh, we, I picked this psalm because it's, it's a psalm of thanks, but it's it's also a psalm of, of big thanks, right? It's, it's not a psalm of uh, just little tiny things, but rather big things. Um, and last week as we, we started to talk about Thanksgiving, uh, we really talked about how it's, it's an act, all right? It's a conscious, active act. Uh, we, we set up memorials in our life of what God has been doing, and those become, uh, those are the memories uh, the psalmist said to remember the wondrous works of God. Uh, we have to we have to choose to set up monuments or memorials in our life um, of things that God has done, so we will be reminded of thankfulness. And that that happens all through the Old Testament. They set up physical monuments, um, but uh, but we as as believers we have the, the 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 living memory of the Lord's table as a memorial to uh, Christ inviting us into, uh, into His way and us coming to faith and, and journeying with Him. Um, but we also, in our lives, we need to set up those memorials. We can't just remember passively. This morning, um, we're going to continue that idea. Uh, if you weren't here this, last week, I'd encourage you, on the website last week, I, I, I broke down the structure of the first uh, few verses of Psalm 105, because it, it's a very careful introduction to the rest of the psalm. And, and it's structured in, in four pairs um, that, that crisscross one another. In verse 5 of, first of Psalm 105, we read the line, and I'm going to read this. We talked about it last week. Remember the wondrous works that He, God, has done. His miracles and the judgments He uttered. O offspring or seed of Abraham, His servant, children of Jacob... His chosen ones. And, and that, that line right there, the offspring of Abram, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Um, this, this idea that we are, our thankfulness is grounded in God's graciousness to us. God's choosing of us. Now, now you might say, well, I didn't choose, uh, God didn't choose me, I chose God. Well, you chose God because He chose you. Now, how that all works, you can talk to all the theologians, but, but God chooses us. Um, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, there are words that describe the process by which God, in His eternal and sovereign will, um, he, he chooses us, and we choose Him. And, the, and those two things are, are fused together. They're not separable. Um, they're, they're, um, from our point of view, we come to faith from his point of view, we uh, hear his call. But now he's going to 
uh, open up what it means, uh, what we are to remember. And he's going to start from the big and work down to the everyday. So in verse 7, he said, this is how the psalmist opens. Uh, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Now, when we read that, we hear that um, in English, um, it's, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, I want to, I want to, I'm going to, and I don't mean to nerd or anything, like that, but I want to read it to you in Hebrew so you can hear the efficiency. So we read it in English, and how many words is it? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. All right. Here's, here it is in Hebrew. That's it. All right, very, very short. Um, just six words. Uh, actually, five, because one is hyphenated. Um, and two of those words are, are the name of God. It's, it's efficient. Now, English is not known for being the most efficient language in the world. Um, English, in fact, academic English, and I speak from experience, academic English manages to find a way to say one paragraph in a hundred pages. Um, all the time. Uh, but, but one of the things I want to, to remind you about, and you say, why did, we, why did you read it in Hebrew? I want to remind you that this was meant to be recalled, very easily recalled. All right? Um, the, and and Hayah, Yahweh, Elohim, it's just three words. He is the Lord our God. It's, it's a very, very just, it's a reminder. It's, it's right in the front of our heads. Verse 8, he remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Now, he's going to break down the history. The psalmist is going to break down the history of Israel up to the time when he's writing the psalm in the next few verses. And, and we're going to deal with those in the next two weeks. But I want to just look at what is being said in verses 7 through 11 that tells us about uh, what, how God is at work in our lives. Uh, and so I have two lists of three. I don't usually do this. Um, but I have two lists of three things that I, that I want you to jot down because I think it's important that we recognize what is going on in this passage. Uh, the first list is, I want you to catch the words that are used. In verse 7, His judgments. His judgments. Now, when we think of judgment, we think, generally, we think of a judgment as a judge saying, you're either going to jail or you're not. But the, the Hebrew word for judgment um, is this idea of decisions. Uh, it's not necessarily you, you know, cond condemnation or anything like that, but the simple matter of, of decisions. How many of you have ever met someone who is just terrible at decisions? Uh, who uh, you're presented with the options. It, one of the, I mean, uh, Henry Ford infamously one time said that they only made the Model T in black because who wanted any? Who wanted to have to decide what color their car should be? Um, but we get confronted with decisions, and and they can be paralyzing. A, 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 a choice that we have to make. You know, we sit there and we go, oh man, I don't know whether I want to do this or not. 
Um, and, and so speaking of God, it describes his judgments, his decisions, his purposes, purposes, his actions. God is always decisive. When God chose you, he decided to choose you. And he never backs down off of his decisions. God, God's judgments are worth thanksgiving. Now, Ray, Ray shared about losing his family, losing his brother, losing so many people in rapid succession, and, and how um, that, that kind of thing, that can paralyze your faith. It, it can get you in a rut. It can get you stuck, and you sit there going, I don't know what to do. And yet, yet Ray, processing it through it, and I didn't know what he was going to share on his devotion, but as he's talking about it, he says, look, God had a fourth option, which is it's my turn. He wanted, his, he wanted Ray's brother to be with him. And, and that's, a, that's a way of processing through and saying, okay, I know God's judgments are right and just. And my experience of his judgment may not be the greatest in the world. So how do I process this in such a way that I can still be grateful and thankful for the decisions that God has made about me that I may not like? Um, uh, earlier today, Ryan Damaris sent a picture to this like group chat we have. We just talk about sports and nonsense. Um, and it's a picture of Steph Curry uh, taking a three-point shot, and as soon as the ball was in the air, he turned away and started celebrating because he knew it was going in. I wish I had that kind of skill. I can't get the key of my car into the hole on the side of the steering wheel every time. This is a man who takes a, he takes a, a was it, how far away is it, 25 feet? All right, 25-foot shot and goes, that's going in. I'm going home, high-fiving the audience as he walks by. God made some choices about me. Um, he built me in such a way that running is only useful if there's a tiger following me. And there's nobody to knock down and feed to the tiger on the way through. Uh, God chose certain things about me that I may or may not like. I am built like a bobblehead. My head is enormous. It's, it makes my neck hurt how big my head is. It's hard to find hats um, to fit on a head the size of this. It's hard to find pants in size 36, 25. You can actually see these are 27-inch inseam pants, and they are dragging on the ground. Um, the, I, and I look at that and I go, wow, that's weird. I mean, when, when I was a kid, when I was 13, uh, my best friend committed suicide. The following year, my dad's best friend was murdered. Um, and he was murdered the day after we got home from the funeral of my 18-year-old cousin who died in a freak kayaking accident. And in the course of that, from the time I was 13 to 14, all kinds of crazy stuff happened to me. And I ha as an adult, I have to choose how I'm going to process that. How could I possibly be thankful for that year? For 1991, 1992 was a horrible year for my family. How could I be thankful for that? How could I be thankful for, for the things that have happened in our lives? Uh, and yet we have to understand that God's judgment, although we may not understand it, right? we may not understand why He takes our loved ones. We may not understand why He's made us the way that He that we. We may not understand how we have to struggle with the things that we struggle with, but when we begin with the thankfulness of God to God for the decisions He has made, the purposes He has for us, the actions that He has taken, although we may not understand the means by which God is making us the people that we are meant to be, 
he is nonetheless doing it. And so we'd be thankful for his judgments. Second word that I want you to watch is his covenants in verse 9. Uh, verse, uh, he says in verse 8 and then again in verse 9. He remembers his covenant forever. He remembers his covenant forever. Uh, the Hebrew word covenant, it mean, it, it's this idea. And, and this idea comes from, uh, it was pervaded the ancient world, the Hittites, the Assyrians, all of those things. They would form these covenants. And the way that, what a covenant is, it is not uh, like a promise that two friends make to each other. It's not even the promise that a married couple makes at the, at the altar where they, you know, for, for good and all the other stuff. Um, you know, it, it's uh, in sickness and in health and all those things. That's, that's a decision, that's a, a covenant between two peers, two, two equals. It should have been, by the way. If your marriage was not a covenant between two equals, you're going to have issues. Um, marriage is a, is a joining of equals, not, not a joining of one guy taking ownership over another person. Um, although some people frame it that way. But this is a different kind of covenant. This is the covenant of the king promising to do something to his people. It is the king um, making a commitment to those under him and those under him being called to act within that commitment, within that covenant. Not to preserve the covenant, but because of the covenant. The covenant itself is the king's to be made. We simply participate in the covenant. Now, i got to be honest with you, right? I'm, I'm kind of thankful that the covenant that God made with me was not dependent on me. That it's not dependent on me being able to hold on tightly to that covenant. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm also thankful that my marriage covenant, which is the joining of two peers, is also not wholly dependent upon me. Um, but rather, it is a joining together of the two of us. That we are dependent on one another. But in the case of a, a suzerainty covenant, which is the big word for it, um, it is the king creating a promise that the people then act within. And so we can be thankful that the work of our salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it is the work of God's covenant and we participate in it rather than it being the work of my faith that God will bless if I act. You see the difference between those two things? One is defined by, I don't know, the creator of all things, the God and sovereign of all creation, the Savior of all who call upon Him. The other one is grounded on us. I'm going to go with this one. I do not want a faith grounded on my own ability to maintain it. And then it says, the words that he commanded. The words that he commanded. Now, if judgments are decisions, and the covenant is the promise, and it's the security, the covenant is the value that God places upon us. Not that we are valuable so God saves us, but rather God in his covenant gives us value, worth, and identity. Then the commands are his authority to place us within the covenant. That what God commands to us, all right, the commandments, all right, the mitzvah or mitzvot, 
the, the good things that we are called to do, those, our obedience is a response to God's authority. I should not, this is going to be controversial, I guess, maybe, I don't know. I should not obey God because it's good for me. I should obey God because He commands me to. If He is truly sovereign over me, if I am truly in the covenant, if He is, if he is truly um, the one who is guiding all things, then I obey not because it benefits me, but because I am a follower of Christ. I am a child of God. Now, those three things define uh, kind of, uh, they're kind of values, right? Judgments, covenant, commandments. All right? So if we, we kind of write those down, we say, okay, God's decisions, God's promises, God's authority. But then I want to talk about the extent of those things because the psalmist is very careful in the way he describes the extent of these things. So let's go back over. This is, it says in verse 7, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in the places that He chooses to be at any given time. His judgments are in the church. His judgments are in the mind of the husband. His judgments are in the authority of whatever published book is the fad right now. His judgments are where? In all the earth. All right. Um, now, this, this line uh, in verse 7, uh, the, when we read this line, his judgments are in all the earth. Uh, all the earth. All right. Bekalha uh, Eretz. The word Eretz, uh, the Hebrew word Eretz, um, which is one of my favorite Hebrew words, Eretz. It just sounds funny. It's like Eretz. You know, I don't know why. It's got a TZ at the end. I just love that they've got a consonant we don't have. Um, Eretz means uh, land or earth, or, or it, it has a lot of multiple uses. But one of the interesting things that happens in Hebrew is that this word overlaps with the idea of the land of the living and the land of the dead. Sometimes Eretz means the place where you live, and sometimes it means the place where you go when you're dead. It is never once used to describe the place of God. In other words, his judgments are over all human experience. They are over all in the earth, in life and death. He is God of the living and God of the dead. Um, and it is this idea that, that this, his, his judgments extend to every aspect of human existence. I, I talk about the Sumerian practice of carrying gods in your, in your pocket on your belt. I've mentioned this before. Um, the ancient Sumerians used to have little models of their ancestor gods that they would carry around tied to the, the, the girdle of their, of their robes. And whenever they were going to do something that their god would not approve of, of their ancestor would not approve of, they would grab him and put their thumb over his eyes so he couldn't see. All right? He couldn't see what was going on. Um, which, by the way, this is, this is part of the origin of the line in both the Psalms and the prophet Isaiah speak about idols who have eyes but cannot see, ears that cannot hear, tongues but cannot speak. He's like, you're, you're worshiping gods that they, you don't need to cover their eyes because they're not real. Um, this idea, this judgments of God being uh, over in all the earth, that means that, that he is sovereign over all of it. And then keep going. He remembers his covenant forever. The Hebrew word is olam. Um, the, the forever means in all of time. 
in all of time. Not only is it in all the earth, all of our human experience, but it's in all of time. God's commandments, God's covenant extends over all of time. You know what that means? It means that before Abraham was born, God was already, he had already formed a covenant with Abraham. God already knew everything about Abraham. God knew that Abraham, given a chance, would manage to try to hand off his wife to Pharaoh. That Abraham, given a chance, uh, when, when Sarah says to him, well, I'm not going to have kids, why don't you take my, friend, my servant Hagar and have kids with, him, with her, Abraham was not going to hesitate to jump at that chance. God knew everything about Abraham, and yet his covenant was forever. God knew everything about you. He knew all the valleys of the shadow of death that you were going to walk through. He knew all the trauma that was going to twist and and mess with your mind and your brain. He knew all the celebrations. He knew all the sorrows. He knew all the questions and all the doubts. He knew all of the celebrate, all of the, the mis- mistakes that we would make, all the misinterpretations that we would make, and all of the apologies we would have to make. And God made a covenant, an eternal covenant, a covenant in all time for you. And then he says, the covenant that he made, um, an everlasting covenant. Look at this. He remembers, verse 8, he remembers this covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, the covenant that is sworn promise to Isaac, confirmed to Jacob as a statue, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. That's the word Olam again, saying to you that I will give you the land of Canaan um, as your portion for an inheritance. And he's going to go on and start talking about nations and wandering through the nations. We'll talk about that next week. But not only is it for all of earth, and not only is it for all of time, not, not only not, God's, God's, uh, God's judgments, God's covenants, God's, God's uh, commands, not only are they in all of human experience and in all time, but God's covenants with us, His commands, His judgments, they are for all people. There's a, a huge theological debate you know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that uh, He gave His only Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And they said, well, you know, what that really means, there's a theological school, what it means is, is you know, anyone, anyone who, you know, God doesn't really love everybody. God only loves the people that come to faith and, and, and they start to nuance all of that. I, you know, I'm all for... I'm all for nuance. I love nuance. I'm a language nerd. I love the differences between languages and ideas. But here's the deal. If Jesus said, for God so loved the world, He didn't mean that the world meant some people. He meant the world. And the world, to John, by the way, was the world dominated by the Roman government. Not not the greatest humanitarian society in the world. When you entertain yourselves by throwing people to wild beasts, eh, you know, uh, when you conquer people, when you conquer people because you don't like that, I mean, the, the, Roman, the, Roman, uh, the Roman mind is such a fascinating, this is just a little historical side trap, but the fact that the Greeks and the Romans did not even waste time learning the names of the tribes that they were killing. They just went, 
they're Celts. And all the Celts were like, you know, we have names. We don't care. We don't care. We're going to slaughter you. You're Celts. You're Celts. You're Germans. By the way, Celts are the ones they conquered. Germans are the ones they didn't. That's how they, they distinguished the Keltoi and the Alemanoi. The, the, the Celts are the ones they beat, and they joined the Roman Empire. The, Roman, the, the uh, Germans are the ones that managed to get away. That's really historically the difference between those two groups in, in Europe. Um, it has nothing to do with one of them had cool art and bagpipes and things, and the other ones tried to conquer Europe in the 40s. That, that, those are modern things. Um, some of you will get that later. Uh, but the, this, the, the Germans, they, they define, or the, the Romans, they defined the world as whoever was under Roman opposition. Right? I mean, that was how they think. So when Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he says, do you know that God even loves the Romans? And for the Jews, for the Jewish believers, that's apostasy. God loves the Jews, but he does not love the Romans. All right? um, God, loves, God loves us, but he definitely does not love them. And yet the description of the covenant here, that it, it's for a thousand generations, that it is, it is manifest before the world, right? The, the, we see, know his deeds among the peoples in verse 1. Uh, among all the people that are not the Jews. He says, I want this declared openly. I want this out for everybody to see. You were molded. You were created. You were God, I, I entered into the covenant with you so that all the world would see my covenants, my judgments. When, when God took us as his people, he did so with a supreme purpose. It is not arbitrary. God's love is not random. God's work in your life is not just something that he decided to do one day. You know, sometimes people think, you know, Einstein one time said, God does not play dice. Now, what he meant was uh, the math has to work. He was not talking about theology. All right? He was just saying the math has to work. That was his way of saying the math has to work. Einstein was a weird dude. You can tell by the hair. Um, uh, but uh, the, uh, the, uh, this is somebody really like, who is Einstein? Um, it's the dog from Back to the Future. Uh, that's still an age joke. Some people may not know that. You know that Back to the Future? <laughs> Back to the Future is almost 40 years old. That's insane. I, all right, anyway. Um, it's, it's, it's bizarre, though. Uh, when God took us as his people, he did so with a supreme purpose. His judgments are intentional. His covenant is complete. His commands are authoritative. And they are in all human experience. They are for all time. And they are to be manifest before all people because God is intentional in the work He is doing in us. Now, I want to just... That's kind of the big idea, but I just want to give you just like a breakdown of the problems that we encounter. There's two big issues we run into when we talk about God's covenants with us, God's work in us, God's ministry in us, that this uh, addresses the understanding, this idea of judgments, covenants, commands, all human experience, all time, before all people, 
when you understand this, it breaks down two major problems that happen in people's Christian experience. And it is, there are many of us that believe that God is the God of the moment. That when we need Him and we call on Him, He'll be there, but it's just the moments. He only deals with the crisis. He just appears at just the right moment. Uh, right now, my favorite TV show is based on one of my favorite novels, uh, Isaac Asimov's Foundation books. And if you don't know anything about Foundation, what I'm about to sound and say is going to sound like gobbledygook. So... Um, but there's a character named Harry Selden who has calculated out how history is going to work. And when crises appear, occur on this planet called Terminus, a hologram of him appears in this thing called the vault and he starts talking about how, to de- how they dealt with the crisis. And everybody's like, yay, happy, happy, happy. Now the TV show has completely changed. It has actually made it better, but I won't get into that. Um, but they, this, this whole idea of well, God only shows up at our crisis moments. God is the God of the moment. So God, I need to know seven steps to be able to keep my kids in line that don't involve me going to jail. So here is, God, I need you in this moment. Or, or I lost my job and I have no money and I don't know where I go and I need God to step into this moment and provide for me. There is there's a lie that we tell ourselves that God is only the God of the, the crisis moment. He's not concerned with everything else. He shows up at the crisis moment. I get to church and get our tank filled up because if we don't get to church and fill our tank up regularly, you know, human beings are like Teslas. We only have 150 miles, so we can't take real long trips without going to church. You know, and the kind of this, I don't actually know what the range of a Tesla is because I will never be able to afford one. Um, but the uh, battery-operated cars involve D batteries. That's what they involve for me. Um, the, but uh, this, this idea that God is just the God of the moment. And all, all, so often we hear preaching and we call it application and it's like here's God in this specific moment that you might need. You need God at just this moment and so here's how God's going to address it in the moment. So there's the God of the moment. But then there's people on the other side of it that make the same mistake in the, in the other way which is they make God the God of the eternal. I'm trusting God that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and not to hell. I, I can't wait for the end times. I can't wait for God to judge the unrighteous and, 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 and bless the righteous. Uh, and w- I grew up in this kind of culture where all, all the songs we sang were about one day we're going to be in front of God and we're going to throw our crowns at His feet. Well, actually, we talk about getting crowns, which is not in the Bible. Um, but he's, and we're going to sing praises and we're going to go to heaven and isn't it going to be great and everything else and the rest of the people are going to be burning in hell for eternity. That's great. There are people that think the God of eternity. God is so removed from the moment that He's just something to be observed from a distance. Ah, God is glorious. Isn't He amazing? Let us speak to Him in King James English. Forsooth, He doth hear us when we doth speaketh. All right? God is Odin from Thor. The movie, not the mythology, just to be clear. Our God is the God of the eternally present. Do you know that there is no then for God? The moment and eternity are one thing to Him. He created time. He is not bound by it. And so God does not meet us in the moment and only in the moment. And God is also not somewhere off in eternity at the end of time. Our God is 
all places in the human experience, all times, all people. He is eternally present in the life of the believer. So we do not have to summon our God using uh, Christian enchantments. That's my word for some of the ways that some people pray. And this may upset you if this is the way you pray. I'm just going to encourage you to change your prayer. If you are saying, God, if you can hear me, God, this situation right now, I need, to, I need you to come. God is not distant. He does not step into our lives in the moment. And He does not sit over at eternity untouchable. He is the eternal present. All earth, all time, all people. And we have to accept that the truth of God's participation in our lives, God's involvement in our lives, is a paradox. He is both in the moment and in the eternal. It's something we can't understand. Because we only operate on the three dimensions that he created. Four dimensions. Six dimensions if you believe in string theory. Thirteen dimensions. Uh, oh, string theory, yeah. It was like, that's you know how you tune the guitar, right? String theory. It was a dad joke, sorry. I watched a really terrible dad joke movie last night and they're all rolling around in my head. The God of eternity is the God of the moment and vice versa. You develop a much more thankful attitude when you realize that God does not abandon the details of your life to you. I'll step in when they need me. Otherwise, i got other things to do. Tom Brady's on at one. And he's my favorite quarterback. Which he's not, by the way. Everybody knows it's Joe Montana. Not really. I just I, Every time I make a joke like that, I fear that people are like, Pastor said Joe Montana was God's favorite quarterback. Not, not being serious. God could not care less about football. Um, who wins and loses football, not football in general. Um, God is the God of the moment and the eternal. Simultaneously. It's a paradox. It's something we can't understand. But it's something that should move us to thankfulness in every moment. For he is present in every moment. In every darkness and in every light. The darkness is not the absence of God. God has not abandoned us. God has not turned our back. And we fe- turned his back. Now we feel sometimes like he's abandoned us. We feel like the heavens are, are led. We, we, we feel like we've been left alone. But God never leaves us alone. Jesus actually said... At the end of Matthew, he says, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Now, some Bibles translate that the end of age. Yeah, whatever. It's end of the world. I'm right, they're wrong. Um, I am always present. And sometimes we lose track of thankfulness when we forget. When we forget that God is always and everywhere for all of us. Join me in a word of prayer.
Father, you are not just the God of the miraculous moment. You are the God of the mundane and the constant and the true. You are not just faithful when we are faithless. You are faithful in all things. And so we respond to you in gratefulness, in thankfulness. Father, help us to set up the monuments of the things that you have done that we've been able to observe and allow those things to echo and reverberate through the moments when we may not know you are present, but you are. Lord, in the things and the darknesses in our experience and our lives and our hearts and our minds, help us to see that you are there, healing and mending and transforming. In the joys and the celebrations and and all the great things in our lives, remind us that they are not our own accomplishments, but you are there. And as we progress on this journey toward... um, the end of our path here on earth and look forward more and more every day to being in your presence without the hindrances of this world. Help us to remember that you are no less God now than you will be at the moment of our passing into your presence and eternity. May you be glorified in all we are, our brokenness and our healing. May you be our Lord God in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.